Denver Sports Station 1043 The Fan presents Schlereth and Evans. Here we go, here we go. And by the way, right before we get started, Rogue, I gotta thank you. I don't know if this is a rogue thing or a fever thing, but uh appreciate the Foo Fighters open every morning. I don't know if that's coincidence or what, but uh, it's totally coincidence because I think the last three mornings we've opened with it. And as a huge Foo Fighters fan, I I, I appreciate it. So thank you very much. <laughs> totally random, right? All right. Well, that's all. Hey, take credit. Whenever I'm ready to hand out credit, take it. Take it and run with it. Like Matt Smith, I credit you for getting up every er, uh, every morning early this week to uh, come on and do the appetizer hour until Mark Schlereth joins us after his... <laughs> Television work at uh, FS1 at 7 o'clock this morning, so thank you. Oh, buddy, you are so welcome. I'm thrilled to be here with you. I am. And you know, you know, Rogue, you got to start taking credit for that. Are we do, Are we sure that we believe her? Because, you know, her namesake would, would tell you differently. Yeah, but I would think she'd take credit for it. Well, I don't know. Like when after, she, la- after last time, after last time I, I might be a little afraid to but she owned go that. into that pool. She owned that. She owned she the Friday song. She, she, she owned did, that. But it backfired so hard that I'm just saying, like, just saying, something to think about. That's all. I, it's coincidence. Total uh-huh. coincidence? Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you like Foo Fighters? Yeah, I like Foo Fighters. Okay. Right. Of course. Okay. They come around, they're coming around uh, this summer. I'm, that is my must-see concert event. Do you have a must-see concert event this, this year? Matt? No, no. No, not really. You're not a, you're not a concert guy? Not really. Oh, you know what? I think Alanis is coming in July. That'd be fun. <laughs> Maybe Billy Joel at Coors Field? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Two. All right. All right. Uh, so the Nuggets lose last night, 105-100. Are you a moral victory guy? Uh, depending upon the circumstance, Last night, Nikola Jokic didn't play. So, you know, if we if we talked about that Philly game as being one of 82, this is also that way. Unfortunately, they lose the tiebreaker if they somehow finish dead even with Oklahoma City now because Oklahoma City won the season series three to one. However, I, I, I think we're so far away from that being a reality. They, they really wanted to give Jokic a night off because, Mike, he's cl- still clearly dealing with something with that eye. I mean, we could see from all those pictures that circulated on social media the other night that it, one eye was certainly dilated. And he's also had the wrist thing going on and he's had a back issue for a large portion of this season. And he's played a lot of minutes. So... If that's what it takes to keep this thing moving along, you know he probably didn't sit out if he was feeling okay. I'm sure he was pretty banged up. Yeah, that's why I go with the moral victory. I, I think going on the road to Oklahoma City, you know that the Thunder will always look at this as a, a bullseye game, a litmus test game. And for them to battle and hang in there the way that they did with some guys having off nights, uh, I thought was was very encouraging. Peyton Watson got a chance to start. Um Good to see Christian Brown score points. <laughs> you know, it was yeah, he it had, was kind of nice kind of tough to hear the whole hey, he didn't score, but he was active on the boards. He had six rebounds. Um, so that was that was good to see. The only the only pet peeve I have, and and it, it's it's Michael Porter Jr. And it's in these games when a Jokic isn't playing, or a Murray isn't playing, or in this case when a Murray is being hounded, and certainly the all out focal. 
um, strategy of the Thunder is to just harass him all all night long. It's in these instances where I would like to see Michael Porter Jr. step up and be the man. I hear you. Instead of just being you. content with being the complimentary guy. He's a good complimentary guy. But I would like in these instances for him to kind of assert himself a little bit more. And 6 of 17 for 15 points isn't asserting himself. It's a bit of a deeper conversation than that, in my opinion. I mean, he's the only starter that finished minus last night, and he was minus 16. This is a bad matchup for him. He's not a good perimeter defender, and against Oklahoma City, there were a lot of times where not only did he have to defend the perimeter one-on-one and keep guys in front of him, but because Nikola Jokic didn't play, he had to defend Chet Holmgren quite frequently, and that's a bad matchup for him. So I I hear you, and I don't know that it's that he is content with not being that guy. He had an off-shooting night last night. He was 6 of 17. But to his credit, there are a lot of times where his teammates are not actively looking for him and they don't really run anything for him. And so I bring that up to say this. is, is it's, it's tough to look at a guy who goes 6 for 17 and go, well, why would you run anything for him if he was cold? And I'm not saying last night I would have done anything differently. But I think the point is because he's not in a rhythm consistently on a nightly basis, it's hard for him in these one-offs to just flip a switch because he's not that guy. So while I hear you and he's getting paid $30 million, so it's tough to really make any excuses for the guy. I think they've done it to themselves in a way. And unfortunately last night, he just didn't have that great of a game. But I will say, I thought Aaron Gordon played really well last night without Nicole Yoke. The uh, other uh, big story of interest to, to me and to you and to a lot of, of others is that uh, one name off the list of potential trade targets for the Avs as uh, Elias Lindholm that we've been talking about for uh, really oh. since really since the season began uh, as the idea of a possible trade gets traded to Vancouver and that is that is one where I I really don't shed any tears about that I never really was a big fan of him in the first place him as a rental player him is what you'd have to give up so I'm I'm not sad about that but they still do need Somebody, they do need some help, and does the focus shift to Adam Henrique now from uh, from <clears throat> from Anaheim, the longtime uh, Devils and and now Duck Center? It'd be a little reunion there with Zach Parise, wouldn't it? So this is this is interesting, right? I've been down on the Lindholm thing. I never wanted that to transpire for the Avs. He's not worth that value, and because of a weaker trade deadline market this year, he was one of the bigger names. I think Vancouver overpaid for him. I doubt that they get return on investment there. They gave up Andre Kuzmenko, who's a very good middle six scoring forward. He's His production dipped a little this year, but they also gave up a first round and a fourth round pick and several prospects. That's a high price to pay. The Avs just don't have that type of asset pool. And moreover, that's an overpay. So I'll just say that I'm really glad we didn't see that move transpire for them considering the price that they ended up that Vancouver ended up paying for him and more than that Mike they don't have any money so I have a really hard time telling you 
who they're going to target this deadline because they're going to have to move money out to make some of this work. And I'm not sure. They haven't given any sort of indication because they do. They are very loyal to their own guys of who they're willing to part from. Now, I think the clear and obvious candidate is Ryan Johansson. But I'm not so sure, as we spoke about yesterday, that they're going to be able to find a partner in a deal like that. They're going to have to attach some value to him to at least get rid of him for somebody else to eat his salary because he's basically unplayable at this level now. So we'll see what happens. Henrique has been a name that they've been in on for several years. He got a little bit banged up last year near the deadline, and I think it kind of shied them away. We do know that Chris McFarland was in Anaheim about a week and a half, two weeks ago looking at Henrique, a night Henrique did have two goals, so maybe they're interested there. I think that would be a one-year stopgap if you can find a way to make the money work. So We'll see, Mike. It could be Adam Henrique. It could be Sean Monahan. He could re-enter the picture, but can Considering the price that Elias Lindholm got, I'd just be a little nervous about overpaying for some of these guys. If uh, you want to react to the uh, Nuggets' loss and the uh, trade that went down in the NHL, hit us up on the Ramoslaw.com text line, 303-713-1043. Nobody, and I mean nobody, has uh, gotten to know Jim Harbaugh as well as Joel Klatt has over the last couple of years. What does Joel say about Harbaugh's arrival in the AFC West? You'll hear that next. You use your cell phone for a lot of things, but you shouldn't have to use it for everything. You deserve reliable home internet that fits your life and your budget. And right now, Internet Essentials Plus from Xfinity is free through the Affordable Connectivity Program. Get unlimited data and equipment included with no annual contract. Go to Xfinity.com free to see if you qualify. Restrictions apply. After program participation ends, Comcast standard charges, taxes, and fees apply. May not be combined with other offers. It's Schlereth and Evans on Denver's Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan. Make sure you 6 a.m. listeners get a chance to hear the best of uh, our buddy Joel Clapp, presented by Audrey Flatirons every week in uh, the 8 o'clock hour. And so, uh, by Joel's estimate, he has done 16 Michigan games over the last few years, so... A chance to uh, really get to know Jim Harbaugh and what and who he is as a coach. And so began by asking Joel if he felt that Harbaugh's arrival in the AFC West automatically makes him the second best coach in the AFC West. Well, one of those guys has won a Super Bowl, um, but the other one has a better quarterback. So, you know, at, at the college level, the head coach is to the program what the quarterback is to the organization at the NFL level. And as much as I, I love Jim Harbaugh and Sean Payton, to be honest, I just, if, if we've learned anything over the last three years, four years, five years in New England, it's that coaches at the NFL level, I hate to say this, but are overrated. I mean, Name a coach that that overcomes a quarterback. It's not many. It, it just really isn't. Now, that doesn't mean coaches are unimportant. They obviously are important to some degree. But it is incredibly rare that that a coach basically outperforms on a on a long basis the ability of his quarterback. That's why I mean everyone's like, well, Andy's the best. Oh, look at him. Well there was a time when Andy Reed was getting run out of town because he couldn't win the big one. Why? Cause he didn't have quality quarterback play in Philadelphia. 
So the better coach in the AFC West is going to be Jim Harbaugh because he has a better quarterback. Now, having said that, I would also just throw this out there that one of the few times that we have seen in recent memory a coach take a uh, what I would consider to be a very average player at that position and have top-end success with him, it was Jim Harbaugh with the San Francisco 49ers. So, you know, th- this guy, I know people love to take shots at him for whatever reason. He has won at, at a major clip everywhere that he's been, whether it's San Diego or Stanford or San Francisco or Michigan. And he is an incredible team builder. Sean obviously won a Super Bowl. He did that with Drew Brees, and he's trying to recreate something in Denver. But to answer the question, I think Jim Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in the sport of football, period. What was the number? How many Michigan games have you done over the last few years? I know you gave us Oh, number. gosh. In the last three, since COVID, I believe it was 16. Okay. And so you've had a lot of dealings with with Jim Harbaugh. I'm just I'm just kind of curious for for somebody who's been in the college game for a while, hasn't been in the NFL in a decade, is there anything about Harbaugh that you can point to that would be a red flag in terms of jumping back into the NFL and dealing with NFL teams and NFL players? Okay, so pre-COVID, I would have said yes. And and even though he was having success to some degree, there was a rigidity uh, there. And, uh, you know, I think that that rigidity came in the form of, uh, I feel like he, he thought he knew best all the time, you know, and, and so he was a hard driver. They were good football teams. They were fundamentally sound. There were all these things. And yet there, there was kind of this, I don't know what it was. I'm, I'm, the word is escaping me, but th- there wasn't a joy to the way that the players talked about the program, talked about the coaching staff. You know, there wasn't an ownership that the players had. I think because of that, he had a lot of success, but it never translated to the top, top end because of that. And, it, you know, some would say it like this, and, and forgive the blunt analogy, but, you know, those around the 49ers talked about him as like, they said, and again, this is not my analogy. And again, I apologize for the the bluntness of this, but that Jim as a coach was like chemotherapy. It worked, but it took its toll. Does that make sense? And, and after COVID he totally changed, completely changed guys. I can't tell you the shift and the way that he would deal with us, deal with his players. In the last 16 times that I met with Michigan, their players were effusive in their praise of Jim Harbaugh and love for him. And they would talk about how much he's given the program back to them and how much of a player's coach he, he, he became and how many times he would talk about how, how much he loved them and appreciated their efforts. And so the entire culture at Michigan was vastly different in 2021, 22, and 23 than it was when I was there from, you know, 2015 through 2020, covering him before that point. So I actually think that even though he did have success with the 49ers and he's always been a great coach, he's at his best currently. 
And I think he's more suited now to have success in the NFL than he was even with the 49ers and even with all the success that they had because he is still the rigid, fundamental, physical nature, everything that you need out of your football team physically, he's still going to provide that. And yet from an emotional standpoint, he builds a culture where the players feel empowered and they feel like it's their locker room. And that's why Michigan ended up winning the national championship. That's why they ended up beating Ohio State the last three years. It was that. It wasn't what was going on schematically necessarily. It was this belief and culture within their program that permeated because of his shift. And that shift, not to get too into it, but there's a book, and I've mentioned it before, called A Season of Life. A Season of Life is a book about uh, an author who – was a ball boy back in the 1970s with the old Baltimore Colts. And a guy that, that he was close to was, was a defensive lineman for the Baltimore Colts named Joe Ehrman. And, and this author was going to write a book about the, the closing and tearing down of old Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. And so he wanted to go back and talk to some of these old players. Well, he connects with Joe Ehrman, and Joe's a high school football coach. And Joe's having success as a high school football coach with this other guy named Biff Pogey. And Biff is, is a guy that's all about culture. And, and Biff was a, a, a renowned high school football coach in the Baltimore area and coached a lot of great players. And, and all they would do is focus on culture and talking about loving their players and their players loving each other. Well, this book is a phenomenal book. Well, it turns out Biff, he has a son who ends up walking on at Michigan. Jim Harbaugh hires him at Michigan after the COVID year. And Biff came in and was basically Jim Harbaugh's mentor and counselor Throughout the last couple of years, Biff moved on this last year. He's now the head coach at Charlotte. But it's it's that change and shift that has totally changed him and I think will make him a better NFL coach now than he was even with the 49ers. Sorry for the long answer. Nope, we appreciate it. Joel Klatt, there he is, presented by Audi Flatirons, the best of Joel with you on Thursdays for the 6 a.m. listeners. Up next, to get the morning brew. Uh, Michael Malone tells us why the Nuggets lost last night in OKC. And Cecil Lammy's thoughts on what he saw from the quarterbacks that the Broncos uh, would have a chance to pick at the Senior Bowl. You'll hear that next. It's time for your morning brew. Grab a cup of joe and get caught up on everything you need to know. Here's Schlereth and Evans. With uh, Matt Smith saying in for Stink, he'll be uh, coming along at 7 o'clock after he's done with his... Uh, National TV stuff that he's doing this week for FS1. The Nuggets lose last night in Oklahoma City, 105-100. Michael Malone summing up why they lost this game. We made 15 threes tonight, and we could have made 30. We had a number of, like, great looks. And we talked about it at halftime, how every time we drive the ball, there's five guys in the paint. We got to drive and kick. You got to make yourselves available. And I, I, I felt, you know, we, we generated a lot of great looks that we just didn't convert. Numbers back it up, Matt. They shot 40% from the field. And look at uh, Michael Porter, 6 of 17. Jamal Murray, 6 of 14. Peyton Watson and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, both 3 of 10. There is your story. There is Nikola Jokic. Uh, sat this one out with a uh, combination lower back and eye injuries. Yeah, that Oklahoma City team, even though Jalen Williams didn't play last night, he's out. Of course, the older brother of Cody Williams who plays at CU, 
That's a good young team, Mike. They are they are here to make some serious noise for the foreseeable future. I don't know if they're going to go on any sort of deep playoff run this year, but Chet Holmgren's one heck of a player. He's just an outlier. He's a heck of a shot blocker. He changes the way that you have to attack, especially without Jokic on the floor. Look at the numbers last night. You know, Denver allows Oklahoma City 50 points in the paint. They only score 34 themselves. They're missing that interior presence because Zeke Naji didn't play all that well. He had a chance to show something in some spot minutes last night. And, boy, that contract signing does not look very good at the moment in time. So, yeah, I, I was reading Aaron Gordon's postgame comments last night, and he said that he really wanted to hold it down for Nikola Jokic, and if it were up to him, he'd like to have that one back. So you talked about moral victories. doesn't look like the Nuggets are really uh, taking that path right now. Next on the uh, Morning Brew, Cecil Lammy, Andrew Mason, our guys down at the uh, Senior Bowl. Cecil on what he's seen from the uh, quarterbacks that we're all talking about as uh, potential Broncos. Two days in a row for me watching Bo Nix. Not impressed with his game. Uh, lots of struggles out there. He was probably the best one. I'll go back over my notes. But overall, this was super disappointing. It was a defensive day out here. So if you're looking for quarterback play, looking for offensive fireworks, that just didn't happen today. You know, i got to stand up for these young quarterbacks. It, it's got to be a tough situation. You're... You're, you're you're working with people you're you're not familiar with. It's it's whatever you're doing offensively from a from a playbook standpoint is is probably a lot different than what you did in college. It would seem to me that it's tough to truly truly evaluate these guys. Do you feel the same way? I think that you can go over season film and put a lot of stock into it, but that just. I think these environments can show you how quickly some of these guys can adapt. But at the very same time, you don't have many opportunities and you have to capitalize on them, Mike. So I would say that when you couple this with what they've done in season, when you go to these games and you scout as an NFL team, if you're evaluating a Michael Penix, if you're evaluating Knicks or McCarthy or what have you, this is this is one part of your evaluation. It's not everything. Yes, I remember when Josh Allen was at the Senior Bowl and people were openly laughing at his lack of accuracy and how he was, um, you know, missing. They were doing target drills. And he was missing targets in the in the back of the end zone that, you know, everybody else was no. nailing. And people were no. like, wow, this guy, this guy's got a, a high bust po- probability or possibility. And, well, we all know how that turned out. Next on the Morning Brew Big trade in the NHL last night, not involving the Avalanche as the Calgary Flames sending Elias Lindholm to the uh, Vancouver Canucks. By the way, a quick, quick thought here. As you look at the biggest threats to the Avs in the West, their biggest roadblocks when it comes to getting to the Stanley Cup Finals, who are they? How do you rank them? Well, I think you probably, even though they started hot and tailed off a little bit still got to consider the defending cup champions in vegas edmonton is red hot right now i mean they're on a crazy crazy winning streak heading into the all-star break vancouver has loaded up the west will be a challenge and certainly you're going to probably have to deal with dallas or winnipeg at some point so look i mean it will not be an easy run for the abs to get through the western conference this year are you concerned yet mike no, no. Uh, because, What's your concern level? Uh, not there yet, because I look at Vancouver and Winnipeg, two teams that are definitely improved, but there's absolutely no, no playoff 
recent playoff history or resume for for us to look at and say, okay, they're they're a legitimate threat. I know you could have said the same thing. About I was just about Seattle to say. last year. I know. <laughs> I was just about I know. To say. But but Seattle was Seattle was in, in the enviable position of being the ultimate lay in the weeds underdog. Vancouver's the top team in the conference right now, and Winnipeg's right there neck and neck with the Avalanche in their division. So I I would go right now Vegas and Edmonton. Those would be sure. the two teams that I would look at as the uh, biggest threats. Next. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think you got to consider everybody in that picture right now since we're so early in the process still. Next on the uh, Morning Brew. Now, I am not a big All-Star game guy. The only All-Star game I will watch is the baseball All-Star game. I boycott the other ones because they're just jokes. But I do like the skill competitions because in these instances, I do believe the players take them seriously and there's a lot of pride to show out in these skill competitions. So, uh, for Avalanche fans, Kale McCarr is going to participate in the fastest skater, hardest shot, passing challenge, and accuracy shooting. Nathan McKinnon will participate in one-timers, passing challenge, stick handling, and accuracy shooting. Which Avalanche do you think will shine the brightest in the skills competition? <laughs> to be 100% honest, neither. Neither one of those guys takes it very seriously, so I'm not exactly sure. Now, the NHL tried to incentivize everybody this year, so they are competing for a million dollars. So, depending upon who wins, I believe it is a a total of your points per event. You've got to win, you know, X, X number of points per your event. I like the structure of it. The NHL All-Star Game constantly messes with the format. They're trying to throw the book at the wall to see what sticks. I like the NHL All-Star Game, even though it is what it is. The skills competition can be fun. This is kind of the last-ditch effort to really make a, a, a skills competition somewhat competitive. Because they did get the best players in the world. I'll give them credit. It's not like the dunk contest right. where the only participant we know of right now is Jaime Hawkins Jr. from the Miami Heat. Are you kidding me? Might as well wrap up All-Star Saturday night. So I, I, I loud the NHL for what they're trying to do here, and I do hope it goes well. I would like to watch Nathan McKinnon in the one-timers. Watching him take a one-timer set up on the, along those left half, that left half wall, uh, love that. Absolutely love the one-timers. Put Ovechkin in there, too, and... Uh, we got ourselves quite a battle. That'll do it for the morning brew. Bring that to you each and every morning at 6.30. Troy Rank, our Denver 7 insider, joins us. We'll chop it up with Troy, including how he views Sean Payton's plan for quarterback this offseason. That's next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Schlereth and Evans. Troy Rank will join us here in just a second. Matt Smith. Sitting in for one more segment. Really appreciate what you've done this week, Matt. Uh, I know getting up early just to do one hour between 6 and 7 while Mark is out there doing the national television gig in New York on <laughs> FS1 uh, has not been easy, but I uh, truly appreciate it. I know the listeners do as well, so thank oh, you they, I know in they advance. Do. I know they do, too. No, no, of course, Mike. I'm happy to be here. Happy to be here. Uh, let's see. Although we did get this from a texture during the hour who said Matt has just about mastered the condescending radio voice. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm getting there, right? That's right. <laughs> it's part of the skill set. You got to develop. I mean, you, this show loves snark. Right. That's all I've exactly, ever been told. Exactly. Exactly. all I've ever been told. Exactly. So the fact that our listeners, especially the 6 a.m. listeners, the best of the bunch, who we encourage to be snarky, they the fact that they it. recognize your snark, you know what they say? Game recognizes game. 
Omama, oh, I made it. Game recognizes game. Ball don't lie. Uh, Try rank our Denver Seven insider joins us now on the Johnson Auto Plaza Hotline. Troy, a good morning, and I'm curious to get your take as you've been following all the talk coming out of the Shrine game and the Senior Bowl about these rumors that the Broncos and Sean Payton might be willing to just unload the next couple of drafts to move up to get a Caleb Williams or a Drake May or a Jaden Daniels. What is your reaction to those rumors? Yeah, listen, they need a quarterback. They need a plan, uh, a long-term vision for the position uh, beyond a likely bridge this year. I just don't know that that's feasible, given the fact your owner has said you're not going to spend big in free agency. You only have six draft picks this year. You have multiple holes to address. I, I don't know that you can even you can do it. I mean, number one, you always can try to do it. Secondly, which one of those top three teams is not going to want a quarterback? I mean, that's the difficult part of this. Now, you could find one that maybe likes Bo Nix, so you could trade all the way up, and then that team trades back and picks Bo Nix at 8 or 12 or whatever. You know, I guess it would be 12 in this case. I don't see it right now. Now, again, we're, it's a fluid situation. We're just starting to get into February here, and the draft is you know months away. But for me, a more likely scenario is they draft a quarterback at 12, move back to 20 and get a second rounder and take a pick, uh, take a quarterback there. I don't know with where they are in this process that they'll move up. And again, they have to have a partner to move up. And I'm not sure which one of those teams would move out of that pick, but there's a long way to go. I just, I don't give it much credence right now, uh, given the time of year we're in, but it's also a fluid situation. Troy, in the last 48 to 72 hours, Sean Payton has added several more cohorts from New Orleans in Cody Rager and Pete Carmichael. What do we know about these two gentlemen so far? Yeah, listen, Pete Carmichael had been with Sean Payton for the better part of 15 years, his entire time essentially in New Orleans. He had worked as both quarterback's coach and an offensive coordinator. He's another set of eyes that Payton trusts and that he's going to be involved in the offense as a senior offensive assistant and like Joe Vitt was for last year for the defense. I've said this repeatedly. Sean Payton did not leave New Orleans. He brought New Orleans with him. He's a creature of comfort. He wants guys he trusts that know how he works, how he sees the game. He wants guys that have been around him that kind of can challenge him because they know the way he thinks. So I, I like the addition of Carmichael. Their offense wasn't very good last year. And so another set of eyes with Lombardi, with Peyton, Davis Webb, it can't hurt. You know, I, I, I don't mind that at all. Uh, in terms of the scouting situation, uh, Rager's very familiar with the SEC, and they need more players from the SEC. That's the best conference in college football. I don't think anyone would argue that. That's his area of expertise. What does that mean beyond this year for what his role? I, I don't know that. Gets kind of into the weeds. But it is a guy Peyton certainly trusts and that he knows. And again, when you're doing the stuff with the draft, and George Payton has alluded to this as well, but knowing what your coach wants and then executing that is critical. That's why trying to create consistency and vision and plan is so important. Because when you look at Pittsburgh, they, they know what a Steeler looks like. You know what a Buffalo Bill looks like. You know a lot of these teams, they know what their type of player looks like. And until Denver identifies that, they're going to continue to miss in the draft and have this island of misfit toys. And that's why consistency and vision and, and people and continuity can really help this team moving forward. 
Visiting with Troy Rank. Troy, with the arrival of Jim Harbaugh in the division, there's been a lot of debate and discussion about, uh, you know, coach rankings and do the uh, Broncos now have the third or maybe even fourth ranked coach in the EAFC West. A- having been around the Broncos all year long, like you were, on the inside, what did you think of Sean Payton's first year as a coach? Uh, well, he, the culture, he was definitely changed the culture. He created a sense of accountability. The expectations changed dramatically. It's a much better coaching staff. So he delivered on that. In watching his practices, how it's run, the attention to detail, all of that is real. As a game day coach, I thought he was rather ordinary. I was disappointed. Uh, the game seemed fast for him in a year away from it. I don't know exactly why. If it's just not knowing the personnel and being away and new opponents, being in the AFC, a very unfamiliar schedule. But, you know, between the use of timeouts and not seeming to be in sync with their identity, especially early, they were a passing team early when they ran the ball really well. And then when they stopped running the ball really well, they never went back to passing. It was just, he, it seemed like he had trouble finding who, finding out who they are. And some of that's talent related. I get it. And they need another year to build out the roster. But in terms of culture building and coaching staff, accountability, and attention to detail, he delivered. Game day, I thought it was rather ordinary. And I would expect more for him, more from him in his second season. Troy, when I look at this Broncos quarterback position, I think there are several different ways they can go, and I'm not so sure there's really a clear-cut choice. Do you have one that really speaks to you? Uh, I mean, again, if you could go up and get one of the top three, that makes it easy. I just don't think, Matt, that that's realistic right now. For me, personally, just looking at the number of needs they have, where they are in this process, and once you get past the top three, I think there's a strong argument to be made to trade back from 12 into the 20s, pick up a second-round pick. So now in the 20s, you take an edge rusher or tackle or corner, whatever you decide you need. And then in the early second round, you have Michael Penix and Michael Pratt available. But, again, you have to like one of those guys a lot that you would pass, let's say, on a Bo Nix at 12 who checks all the boxes. I mean, and I don't know where they are in that process, Matt. But in all, in saying all that, I fully expect them to bring in a bridge quarterback like a Jimmy Garoppolo, a Sam Darnold, a Jameis Winston. You bring him in to compete with Jared Stidham. The winner of that job is the starter initially. The other guy gets cut, and then you have the pick you took in the first or second as the backup. But at least now you have a clear vision. Maybe that guy, this bridge guy, gets you through eight or ten games, and then by the last third of the season, the rookie plays. But people aren't recognizing this. Sean Payton offense is very complicated. It puts a huge amount of responsibility on the quarterback at the line of scrimmage. Even if it's Bo Nix and a Michael Penix and Pratt who played a, just an incredible amount of college football, it's not easy for a guy to come in and start right away. So they're going to need a veteran regardless. But that would be my my looking at their roster now, saying that you're not going to move up to the top three, I would trade back, pick up a second-round pick, address multiple needs, and still have my quarterback of the future in hand. All right, Troy, great stuff as always. Thanks, pal. Thanks, Troy. Troy Rank, our Denver 7 insider, joining us on the Johnson Auto Plaza Hotline. We say goodbye to Matt with one T. Thank you, Matt. (laughs) Until next time. Thank you, Matt. Mark joins us coming up next for Four Down Territory.